Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Thursday, March the 18th, or May the 18th. I'm getting my calendars uh, wrong this week. Thursday, May the 18th. And uh, welcome to our to our commentary. Just uh, just a quick heads up. I have a post coming out Friday morning about something very interesting that's coming out of Mexico. The Mexican press is starting to talk about the fentanyl in Mexico. You know, for some time, the way that uh, the president of Mexico has discussed this subject is basically to say, well, you know, uh, this is an American problem and this is not for us, you know, whatever. Uh, He denied that China was involved. Well, local reporters are now breaking the story that, in fact, China is responsible for bringing this to Mexico. They do it through the ports. And it is made in Mexico and sent to the United States. Now, I'm not blaming Mexico completely for this, because as I've said before, we're the ones who consume this stuff up here, and we have to do a better job of of not consuming. But actually, it would help a great deal if Mexico and the United States could work out this problem, because while it is a threat to our young people to consume this, uh, the fact that you have these criminal elements in Mexico operating is a threat to Mexico. So it would be nice if both countries could actually come together and come up with an agreement so we can work on this together because we're both losing. You know, this is not a win situation for Mexico and a lose situation for the United States. Mexico is also being impacted by the fact that these criminal elements are inside Mexico. So I've got a post about this coming out uh, tomorrow, and I make reference to an article that I saw in Mexico Pulse News. This is a great uh, website about Mexico that I catch every day. And uh, we're going to be speaking with the reporter who wrote that story. We're going to be doing that on Sunday night. So check out uh, our our blog on, on Sunday nights, and I will have uh, the, 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 the reporter who broke the story, uh, and we'll talk into this issue, which, as I said before, this ought to be a major concern for both sides. We're consuming, I know that, and we need to work on that. But Mexico is supplying, and they need to work on that. So both sides can work on this uh, on this issue. I do have a post over at the American Thinker today talking about Hillary Clinton and how Hillary Clinton is in so many ways the person responsible for all of this Durham report and everything, all the lies and everything that were, uh, were shown to be lies in the Durham report. It was Hillary Clinton who started, or her campaign, I don't know how much she personally was involved, but clearly her campaign was involved. And if you read through this uh, Durham report, and if you see what happened, her campaign came up with this story uh, about a connection between Russia and the Trump campaign. This information then went to the FBI and went to the media and was promoted like a breaking story. I'm sure all of you remember the articles in the New York Times and the Washington Post about connections and sources familiar with the information and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure all of you remember that. And it was really Hillary Clinton. So people talk about who do we hold responsible for this? Well, there's a lot of people who should be held responsible. Uh, Comey, the director of the FBI, 
uh, a couple of the agents in the F, uh, who worked in the FBI who were behind all of this. These are leadership positions, by the way, not the FBI agents. They're not really the ones who, who caused this problem. And there was a very interesting article by Jonathan Turley, Professor Turley, uh, who, who spoke about the Durham report. And he made a point that was really, really interesting. You know, he was saying that now that the report is out there in the hands of the political class, that I think the Republicans in Congress should bring some of these people in for uh, for cross-examination, and they should be answering some of these questions on the record now that we know that the, what they were pushing was a lie. And I think this, you know, a lot of people are talking about justice. Well, this may very well be the way you get justice, by having these people come to your committee and answering direct questions as to why they were pushing this when they knew that they were pushing a lie. So I think that Professor Turley has a great idea here. And uh, I, I'm hoping that the, the Congress, I think Jim Jordan's committee, I'm hoping that they will bring some of these people in and uh, and just ask them questions. You know, why were you doing this when you knew there was nothing here to investigate? Speaking of Jim Jordan's committee, Jim Jordan, of course, is the chairman of a, an important House committee. He's from Ohio. He represents a district uh, in Ohio. And Mr. Jordan had some whistleblowers today before his committee. And I, I continue to be amazed at how disrespectful the Democrats are to the people, these whistleblowers, how they try to discredit these people. If you remember uh, a couple of months ago when Matt Taibbi, who was doing all that stuff with Twitter, came before the committee and he was being discredited by the Democrats, somehow challenging uh, even asking, you know, well, what do you do for a living? You know, they didn't even, didn't even know that uh, that uh, that Matt Taibbi was actually a journalist who was a liberal journalist, okay? He was a critic of Donald Trump, but he's also an honest guy. And uh, he was challenging some of the stuff that Twitter was doing with FBI and, and that kind of thing. Well, today they had some whistleblowers. And it, it's just amazing to me how the Democrats try to discredit these people. One particular situation. You have a representative from California, a lady by the name of Sanchez. I've heard her name before. I think she ran for the U.S. Senate and was defeated by by uh, Kamala Harris back in 14 or 16. I think it was 14. But anyway, so here she is. She's asking a whistleblower a question. Now, let me just give you a little background about the whistleblower. He was uh, a veteran in Iraq and in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, honorable service. Uh, his work at the FBI has been uh, excellent. And this member of Congress is, is asking him uh, about a tweet or something that was tweeted. And she says, did you tweet this or retweet this, whatever the right word is? And he said, well, that's not my account. And now that should have been the end of the conversation. If I'm accusing you of tweeting something and I find out that it's not your account, well, you have nothing to do with it. Why am I even pursuing this? But the lady continues, well, do you agree with what was tweeted? Well, I didn't tweet that. But do you agree? With, and it's like disrespectful to people who are there as whistleblowers, and they've got a point of view, and they've got a case to make. If you disagree with them, fine, you can disagree with them. But why go after them like this? And I think it, it really shows you what is wrong with the Democrat Party at the moment, and honestly, what is wrong with so many of them in the House? 
where they, you know, they, they seem disconnected from reality. Uh, and when you see whistleblowers being treated in this fashion, you really have to wonder, you really have to wonder, you know, why attack people like that? It, it, it just uh, doesn't make any sense. You know, again, the guy says, the woman says, did you tweet this? And he says, well, that's not my account that you're, that you're bringing up. But anyway, do you agree with whoever tweeted this? Well, I didn't tweet it. That's not my account. And it, it's really embarrassing. It's kind of embarrassing, honestly, to, to, to see stuff like this. And I just, you know, uh, it just makes you wonder, you know, if these people want to know why they're so disliked, maybe they should watch themselves on TV asking these questions. It's just absolutely, just absolutely amazing uh, to see this. Uh, I think they're going to be going on for a couple of days, these whistleblowers. But to see the way they're treated by Democrats just makes me angry. Makes me angry. I mean, if if you think these whistleblowers are are doing something wrong or you disagree with them, okay. But why try to attack them in such a in such a personal fashion? It, it just doesn't uh, make any sense to me. A couple of things on this day in history: we say happy number eighty six uh, to Brooks Robinson. Brooks Robinson, of course, Hall of Fame baseball player. He was the third baseman with the Baltimore Orioles. He was just one of the great players in Major League history, and we say happy number 86. He was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, and he made his way to the Major Leagues, and he's played his whole career with the Baltimore Orioles. I had the opportunity to watch him play, uh, particularly in the 70s, and I was at the stadium in 1977 when they had Brooks Robinson Day, which was uh, after he had retired, and they you know, gave him a big ceremony. And, uh, you know, there was, there's, there's, there was and there continues to be a great deal of love between the baseball fans in Baltimore and Brooks Robinson. And, and if, you, if you saw Brooks Robinson play and if you saw the way that he behaved in public, not only was he a great player, but he was a great gentleman off the field. And he was a great model for a major league baseball player, a professional athlete, a guy who understood that he had to play the game but he also had a responsibility to behave correctly and be a good role model. I mean, I just thought Brooks Robinson is one of the greatest players ever, and I wish him a very happy number 86. And on this day in 1860, the Republican Party nominated Abraham Lincoln. Interesting uh, nomination because it took three ballots for Lincoln to be nominated. He was not the original choice, but after a few ballots, three ballots, he was nominated president. Of course, that year, uh, there were actually four candidates for president uh, in the general election, and somehow Lincoln managed to get in, get a majority of the Electoral College. As I recall that year, some of the southern states didn't participate in the election, or they rejected the election, and many of the states seceded from the Union after uh, Lincoln was inaugurated, but the great Abraham Lincoln was nominated by the Republicans on this day in 1860. I think Lincoln may have been, I think he was the first Republican to win the presidency, or maybe maybe the second. He followed Buchanan, and at the moment, I don't remember if Buchanan was a Republican, but Lincoln was obviously the first uh, successful Republican, Republican president. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.